we are here this morning to hear the story of the resurrection. Matthew gives us the story of Jesus' resurrection. But the resurrection is more than a story. The resurrection is an event that its effect is felt in our lives today. And so if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Matthew chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests, all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God. Lord, we need your word. We are lost without the truth of your word. And yet, Lord, we also need your spirit, for we cannot understand your word on our own. Our minds are darkened, our hearts are hard. Lord, we ask that by the power of your spirit, 
You would attend your word. You would lift us up by it. That we might see the Lord Jesus Christ. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, this morning we come to one account in the Bible of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are four Gospels, and each of the Gospels has an account of Christ's resurrection. They are complementary accounts that agree in the main, but each provides significant details that the others do not. And so we can look at all of them together and to get a full account of Jesus' resurrection. But this morning we are here not just for the story of the resurrection, because the resurrection is much more than a story. It is not something that we look at and observe. The resurrection changes everything. Because of the resurrection, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are never the same. Because of the resurrection, the world that God has created is never the same. The resurrection changes everything. And I'd like us <coughs> Excuse me. I'd like us to see three things this morning that Matthew wants us to notice from this account. First, we see that the resurrection liberates believers. The resurrection frees believers from fear and brings them joy. Second, we see that the resurrection hardens sinners because those who do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ are not affected by the resurrection in some generic, positive way. No, instead, it hardens them in their opposition to King Jesus. And then thirdly, The resurrection focuses us. It focuses the church. (coughs) Three things. It liberates believers. It hardens sinners. And it focuses the church. Let's start by seeing how the resurrection liberates believers. It liberates them by dispelling our fears. Now, we must start by putting ourselves in the shoes of the women on this first Easter morning. The reason is we come to this text in the joy of Easter, but they did not. Remember the whirlwind of events that preceded this morning. It was just one week before these events that Jesus entered triumphantly into Jerusalem. He then held the last supper with his disciples. And he told them that he would be betrayed and that they would all run from him and deny him. They refused to believe this, especially Peter. Peter said to him, Lord, though everyone leaves you, I surely will never leave. But then in the darkness of the evening, they came to arrest Jesus. They dragged him off for mock trials before Herod and Pilate. And Jesus looked upon Peter as Peter denied his Lord three times, just as Jesus had described. And then, of course, there was the brutal death on the cross, a death of shame, of that of a criminal, Jesus suffered and died upon the cross. And so, 
at this point, all of this must have seemed a bit unreal to these women. They had believed Jesus. They had followed him. They knew that he was the hope of Israel. And now everything had gone horribly wrong. The enemies of Jesus had won. They had put him to death. And these women did not know what to do now. They were trying to find meaning in life. They were trying to find a way to go on. And so they decide to go to the tomb. To anoint the body of Jesus. To see Jesus one last time. To have an image in their mind of their Lord. Now they go cautiously, the accounts tell us. They go cautiously to the tomb because they are afraid. And they have every reason to be afraid. Because there is a guard of hardened Roman soldiers between them and the tomb. And the Jewish leaders have made it clear that they are the enemies not only of Jesus, but to everyone who claims to follow Jesus. And now Jesus is gone. There's no one to protect them. You remember in other accounts in the Gospels, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees came after Jesus, Jesus showed no fear and he was able to remain safe. But now, if you are one of these women, you must imagine, Jesus isn't here to protect me now. What will come of me? They're so struck by fear that they're not even thinking clearly. Have you ever had that happen to you? You're so fearful that you are doing things that make no sense. That's what is happening here in our text. Because they come, we know from the other account, toward the tomb and say to each other, what do we do now? We have these plans to anoint the body. But remember, there's a gigantic stone in front of the tomb. How can we possibly move this stone? And so that tells us that as they went on this journey, they were not thinking properly. Otherwise, they would have brought someone to help or they would have come up with a plan. They wouldn't have just hoped that somehow it would work out. Now, as bad off as the women are, the disciples are in worse shape. Judas had betrayed Jesus and had killed himself. Nine of the disciples, had fled completely. Only Peter and John had remained that dark day. And Peter had denied the Lord Jesus Christ and had run away mourning. Only John had stayed at the cross. And now, he is nowhere to be found. John actually tells us in his gospel that the disciples are locked up in a room, locked away for fear of the Jews. For all they knew, they were next on the hit list. Now, it's important that you see this this Easter. Because for many of you, there is much around you to make you afraid. You are afraid of your sin. You are afraid for your family. You are afraid for your country. You are afraid for the church. The story of the resurrection is for you now, right where you are. And then there is a great message that comes from heaven. There is an earthquake. And this is God's way of saying, listen up. I'm talking. 
God does this often in the Bible. At Sinai, there was a great earthquake before the giving of the Ten Commandments. At Jesus' death, there was a great earthquake. And in the book of Revelation, we see over and over again, God punctuating His revelation to His people with earthquakes. And so Matthew tells us, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what happened. Because, of course, he did not see this, and the women did not see this. An angel descended and completely removed the stone from the tomb. That is no small feat. And it happened suddenly. That's what Matthew means when he uses the word behold. Behold means quickly. Look, it's happening right now. And this is an important detail that Matthew gives us. Why is it important for us to see that the stone was rolled away? If you think about it, Jesus didn't need the stone rolled away. Jesus is already gone before the stone is rolled away. And we see later that Jesus is able to pass through doorways into locked rooms with his resurrection body. So the stone didn't need to be moved for Jesus. I think oftentimes we come to this text and we think it's obvious. The stone had to be moved so Jesus could get out. But the Bible tells us that that's not the case. Well, if that's true, then why bother moving the stone at all? The reason why the stone is moved is because we need to see. We need to look in and see the truth of the resurrection. It's for the women to see. It's for all of us to see that Jesus is no longer in the grave. That he lives. Now why do we need to see this? The angel answers this question for us in verse 5. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Now, it's interesting. The word that is translated said here is actually the word answered. Now, you can see why our translators don't use the English word answered here because it doesn't make much sense for the angel to answer something that the women have never asked. The angel speaks first. So what is the angel answering? I think this is a clue from Matthew. What the angel is answering is not the words of the women, but he is answering their fear. He knows they're afraid. And he tells them, do not be afraid. He comforts them immediately. And there is the most ironic good news that could ever come. The good news is Jesus isn't here. Stop and think about that for a moment. They came to see Jesus. They were hoping to see Jesus. They might be disappointed that they can't see Jesus, but it is the best news, not only for them, but for all of Jesus' people, that he is not there any longer. Now, the angel says to them, Come here. Come closely, he says. He uses a gentle turn of phrase. Come, come here. The way you might speak to your children. There's great gentleness in his voice. Now, I want you to note a further irony here. The women are emboldened, and they go to the angel and to the tomb. While the hardened soldiers, the battle-weary soldiers, 
are struck with fear and are struck like dead. They faint dead away. This is what happens. This is what the resurrection does. It does away with our fear. Our fear of death. Our fear of loneliness. Our fear of defeat. Our fear of sorrow. It shows us that Jesus is the one in control. And no matter what the world says, it shows us that Jesus keeps his promises. It does away with fear. But there is more to this story than come. Next, the women are told to go and tell. And there is an immediate sense of joy in these words. Go and go quickly, the angel says. Run, women, run. Go with a purpose. Go and tell the disciples that what Jesus said was true. Now there is a gentle rebuke in verse 6. He is not here, for he is risen, the angel says, as he said. Now Jesus had told the disciples over and over again that he would rise on the third day. And so this site is designed to give great joy to not only the women, but all of the disciples. Because what Jesus said is true, even when all appearances were against it. Over and over again, when Peter had confessed that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus had told him that he would rise again on the third day. Again, after the transfiguration, Jesus told his disciples that he would rise again on the third day. Even the Jews knew this. We see that in the previous chapter, 26, 27, and verse 64, 63. We remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Jesus had said this over and over again. But what we have here is no feel-good story. It's not a moral victory. It's all true, just as Jesus had said. Can you imagine their joy at hearing that? Have you ever gotten good news when you only expected more bad news? The whole thing is turned upside down, isn't it? You might even get to the point where you dance because you are so joyful at what is happening. There is nothing like it. Joy rains down on you. And there is so much joy here that it overwhelms their fear. Now, you could understand why they would fear or be in awe of an angel. And they still were, in verse 8. They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. But I want you to notice a little detail that Matthew gives us. They had fear, but they had great joy. Their joy was great. And I love this aspect of the Greek language that works in even with our modern English. Do you know what kind of joy they had? They had mega joy. They had supersized joy. The joy reigned over them and cast out all fear. Can it get any better than this? The answer is yes. Because Jesus himself meets them. Now notice how caring Jesus is. 
he greets them simply. He met them and said, greetings. Now again, this is a a perfectly fine translation, but I think sometimes it doesn't get the sense for us because I doubt many of us walk up to our neighbors and friends and say, greetings. We're more likely to say something like, hello, or good morning. If you were to say that in Jesus' day, this is what you would say. Greetings is also hello. It's good morning. Look at how compassionate, look at how familiar Jesus is with them. They might expect that after the resurrection that Jesus had changed, that maybe he was beyond them, that maybe he wouldn't speak to them. And he comes right down to their level and says hello. Unlike the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they immediately recognize that it's Jesus. How kind of Jesus to these women. And their joy is made concrete and it is made real. Again, Matthew gives us an important detail. They take hold of his feet. Jesus is really there. His body is real. He is back with them. He is not a spirit. He has a true body. But they also realize who Jesus is. That he is God himself. And that is why they worship him. They fall down before him and they acknowledge him as the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And then they are to share their joy. Jesus tells them in verse 10 to go and tell. Now who are they to go and speak to? Notice Jesus' words. They're important. Jesus says, go and tell my brothers. He could have said with great truth and accuracy, go and tell the ones who ran from me. Go and tell the ones who denied me. Go and tell the ones who were so busy bickering about who was the greatest that they couldn't stand by me in my time of need. But no, the resurrection changes everything. Their sins are washed away. Jesus does not dwell on their faults and on their sins. He dwells on the relationship that he has with them. They are his brothers. That's who Jesus is. Do you see Jesus as someone who's constantly pointing out your faults? Do you feel self-conscious in prayer because you know you fall short of God and his will? The resurrection brings you to Jesus. It brings you close to Jesus. Your sins are remembered no more. The scripture tells us that they are cast away as far as the east is from the west. Notice Jesus does not dwell on their sins. Mark gives us another clue in this same vein. The angel, when he had told the women to go and tell, said, go and tell the disciples... And Peter. He singles out Peter. Because God knew that Peter was sorrowful. God knew that Peter knew he had failed Jesus. God knew that Peter needed strengthening. And that's what Jesus does. Do you hear the voice of Jesus coming to you? You may hear, do not fear. And come. But do you hear, go and tell? 
The resurrection is good news that we must share. It is the best news that the world needs. The next thing we see is that the resurrection makes a difference, not just for believers, but for those who reject Jesus. You will remember that the women were not the only people at the tomb. The Pharisees and the chief priests had gone to Pilate and had asked him for a guard for the tomb. The Pharisees had heard Jesus' message. In fact, they seemed to have remembered it better than the disciples and the women's did. And they had done everything they could to prevent Jesus from making his promise true. And so they set a guard, a very unusual measure. They didn't even trust that they could stop it or do the job. So they went to Rome. Surely Rome could not be defied. And they go to Pilate and they get a Roman military guard. Now there is a great irony here. We are talking about people who hate Rome who hate Roman rule. That's one of the reasons they actually hated Jesus, because he didn't oppose the Romans enough. And now here they are asking Rome for help to show Rome's power. And so they put a large stone in front of the tomb and they seal it off. Now, we have to understand what this looks like and the significance of it is. When they... When the scripture tells us that they sealed the tomb, it does not mean they put some form of ancient superglue on the rock and stuck it in the hole. No, what it means is after the stone was in front of the opening, they took a big rope or a cord and they strung it across the opening around the stone. And they secured that rope to the stone and to the tomb with a wax seal. A wax seal of the authority of the Roman governor. And what that meant was, anyone who would break that seal, anyone who would think of going near this tomb, would come under capital punishment for defying the authority of Rome. And so, no one would dare tamper with this. Now, what we have to remember here is what we see in verses 11 and following is not about a lack of, of evidence. The guards saw everything. They saw the angel. They saw the stone rolled back. They saw the empty tomb. And further, the Pharisees heard all of this from their mouths. In verse 11, they told the chief priests all that had taken place. So it is not as if the Pharisees are wandering around saying to themselves, I wonder what happened. No, they know what happened. An angel came down and rolled away the stone and the tomb was empty. And the Pharisees heard all of this from the soldiers. The soldiers would have no reason to lie. And they would certainly have no reason to lie with this kind of a story. They had no religious belief. They were pagan Romans. They would have been far better off if they were going to lie to say to the Pharisees, Well, you know what happened was 200 of Jesus' disciples came in the middle of the night and they sprang on us by surprise and we fought them as hard as we could, but we were overcome and they tied us up and then they dragged away the stone and they took away the body. That's a good lie, so to speak. It's not a good lie for a pagan Roman to say, well, you see, an angel of God came down 
and rolled the stone away and then told some women that Jesus was risen from the dead. That's not exactly the lie you come up with, at least as your first attempt. Now, how do the Pharisees respond to this? Do they repent of their opposition to Jesus? Do they see that what happened is what Jesus predicted and it is exactly what occurred? If so, that should tell them a bit about who Jesus is. No. What they do is they gather together and they take counsel. And as soon as we hear that word, we know bad things are about to happen. Because this verb for take counsel is used five times in Matthew. Sometimes it's translating conspire. Sometimes plotted. But in every instance, it is used of the Jewish leaders and their wicked attempts to kill Jesus. That's their response. The point is, instead of bringing them to repentance, the news of the resurrection causes them to harden in their sin. Now, this should be a sobering thought. Because if you are here today and you have not put your trust in Jesus, if you do not believe that he died to save you from your sin and rose again to make you right with God, you are in danger. Danger of being hardened in your sin. Of going through the motions of Easter, thinking that will be enough. It is not. Hearing the Easter story will not save you. Only believing in the one who rose again will. But the Jews are not the only unbelievers here. There is also the matter of the soldiers. These are men who would have prided themselves on their professionalism. They were a part of the greatest army on the face of the earth. They had conquered the known world. And they had been given an important task by the governor himself. Now Pilate was not some minor figure. To be a Roman governor was a great honor and it came with great power. He was a cultured military man. For these soldiers to fail at the guarding would have been punishable by death. And so the Jews are asking for no small favor here. They are asking the soldiers to risk their lives for something they could not care less about. So how do you get someone to do something in that context? That is, there is great risk and little concern on their part for the result. Well, you appeal to their selfishness. And that's exactly what they do. They offer sufficient money. We might translate it a considerable sum of money or even a large sum of money. And then they also appeal to the soldier's self-preservation in verse 14. They promise that if the story gets back to the governor and he gets involved, the Jewish leaders will handle it. The phrase that is used at the end of verse 14 We will satisfy him and we will keep you free from worry, we might translate it. You won't need to worry at all about this. We've got it handled. You won't lose any sleep tonight. You're completely safe. This is important because they were asking the soldiers to basically say that they were incompetent. And again, it's a story that makes no sense. How could they fall asleep? How could they all fall asleep at the same time when they were trained not to do that? 
More than that, if they were asleep, how did they know what happened? How did they know that the stone was rolled away and that the disciples came and took the body? This makes no sense at all. This would not stand up under 30 seconds of cross-examination. Could you imagine someone coming up to a soldier in the street and saying, well, what happened? Well, we fell asleep and they came and took the body and that's what happened. Really? You guys don't go in shifts? Is this what you do in Gaul and in Germany? You just... All of you fall asleep at the same time? And by the way, how many disciples were there? Oh, that's right, you wouldn't know because you were asleep. Where did they take the body? Oh, that's right, you wouldn't know because you were asleep. Sure, right. I mean, it's just, it's not even a plausible story. But you can see they are placing their self-preservation in the hands of the Jewish leaders. None of this matters to them. The point, again is that the resurrection is not disbelieved because of a lack of evidence or because there's some other logical explanation. It is disbelieved because sinners want to focus on themselves and their selfishness. The soldiers are a perfect example of this. Now, as you hear this story today, are you only thinking about yourself? Do you wonder what there is in it for you? Again, there is a warning here. The resurrection frees believers, but it hardens sinners. The final thing we see here is that the resurrection focuses the church where Jesus wants it to be focused, on the worship of Christ and the mission of Christ. And so Matthew tells us, Next, in verse 16, that in spite of the attempts by the Jews to stop the resurrection, the disciples of Jesus are still transformed by its power. This story is not just a story in Matthew's day, but it is a story in our day. Matthew tells us this lie is still being told, and even today this lie continues. There continue to be books written about the swoon theory. That somehow Jesus, unbeknownst to everyone, including all of the soldiers, was not really dead. He was just sleeping really hard. Or was in some sort of semi-comatose state. And then, after suffering for more than 24 hours, and being holed up in a tomb with very little fresh air, somehow he got himself up, took off his burial clothes, pushed the big stone away from the inside, met his disciples, and was never heard from again. It's ridiculous. Some books are still being written about the lie that Jesus Christ had his body stolen by his disciples. But the people of God continue to be transformed by the resurrection. That is why all across the globe today, the church is gathered to celebrate that Jesus is risen. And so Matthew tells us that the disciples, there are 11 of them now, remember Jesus' words and they obey the command of Jesus. They go to Galilee. They remember that he said, in three days I will rise again and meet you in Galilee. He had given them this directive during the Last Supper. And now after the women relate the story of the resurrection, they remember and they go to Galilee. And as soon as they see him, 
They worship him. Now, the word here cannot be mistaken. They are not respecting Jesus. They are not honoring Jesus. They are falling on their knees and worshiping Jesus as God himself. The verb that is used here is crystal clear. And this shows us what the resurrection means. It's not just that Jesus came back to life. After all, there had been others who had come back to life and then died again eventually. The little girl, Peter's mother-in-law, Lazarus. Jesus, however, was raised from the dead and he lives forevermore, never to die again. The resurrection shows us that Jesus is God and that he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy because of who he is and because he has redeemed us from our sins. The church is called to worship Jesus. Do you worship him? That means more than to sing about him or even to tell others about him. It means that we serve him. It means that we say to Jesus, your will be done, not mine. Are you ready today to worship Jesus? If you believe in the resurrected Christ, you know that he is God and that he is worthy of worship. The resurrection has revealed Jesus for who he is, the eternal son of God, worthy of worship and the Lord of his church. Now it is not that Jesus has changed. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But it is that by the resurrection, Jesus is now seen in all of his glory. And the resurrection makes it clear to us that Jesus is in charge. There is no more doubting that. And so Matthew ends his gospel with Jesus sending his church, that is us, on a mission. The resurrection makes it clear that Jesus has the authority to set the mission. And so what has been called the great claim precedes the great commission. The authority that Jesus has is complete. He tells us that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. It has been given to him. Now does that mean that Jesus had no authority before? No. Because Jesus had authority over illness, over demons, even over death. But what it means is that now as the resurrected mediator, all authority is now Jesus's. This is a promise for us to hold on to. We know that we have Jesus to lean upon when we are in times of difficulty or of struggle. And this is important because the mission he has given to us is an important one and a challenging one. Now, verses 19 and 20 of Matthew 28 are often the subject of an entire sermon. So here we only have time to summarize them in the context of the mission of the resurrected Christ. And so Jesus tells them and us that they are to replicate themselves. They are to make disciples. That's what Jesus did. When he rose from the grave, the angel said, go and tell his disciples. 
And now we are to obey Jesus and to make disciples. That is the main verb of this sentence. It is the mission that we are sent on. So how do we make disciples? We're not Jesus. We don't have his authority. We do it by obeying our Lord. The resurrected Jesus has all authority. That includes his authority over you and over me. He tells us to go. He tells us to baptize. He tells us to teach all that he has commanded. We do not need to wonder. We have our focus given to us by the risen Christ. In conclusion, the resurrection changes everything. All of recorded history can be divided into before and after. It is not just an encouraging story. It is the great event that frees believers, that reveals the sin of unbelievers, and gives purpose to the lives of God's people. It is our hope. It is the fulfillment of promise. Christian, have no fear. In the world, you have tribulation. But Jesus has overcome the world. Come, see, and worship Christ, the risen King. Let's pray.